You know, people around the world celebrate Easter for all types of reasons and for all types of ways or in all types of ways. And no doubt, your social media feed this weekend is going to be filled with children in, in nice clothes, dressed in their Sunday best, taking pictures in front of flowers and maybe with some Easter baskets and so forth. But what is all the fuss about? Why is it that we tend to make such a big deal about Easter? Why do we spend so much money on clothes and candy and food and celebration? What is so special about this day? Well, again, there are, are people who celebrate it for all kinds of reasons. Some enjoy the opportunity just to put on their Sunday best. Some enjoy the opportunity to go out and buy something new to, to dress up. Others enjoy the food. Others enjoy the fellowship, gathering together with family. Others enjoy the chocolate. Amen there, right? Some people enjoy this day for all different reasons. But what about the church? Why does the church carve out time every year to remember this day? Now, it's no secret that the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. This is the day that the church takes time to consider his resurrection, consider Christ rising from the dead. The story is, is well known. We believe and follow Jesus Christ who was put to death on the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him would be saved. Christ said that he came into this world to save sinners, and this he did by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So if you come here this morning, you know what this day is all about. If you've come to church today, you know what we celebrate. We celebrate a risen Savior. We celebrate Christ rising from the dead. But what does the resurrection truly mean? Why is it so special? After all, wasn't the dying on the cross the, the bigger deal? Isn't the fact that Jesus went to the cross to die for my sins enough? What is so special about the resurrection? I titled this sermon, What the Resurrection Means to Us, because I wanted to see that there is a lot that the resurrection has accomplished for the believer. The resurrection is not just a miracle to admire. It's not just a special moment in history that we can all point to and say, wow, isn't that amazing? I want us to see that the resurrection is more than just an after effect of the crucifixion. On the contrary, the resurrection is the foundation of our Christian faith. Here at Ecclesia, we are walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark in our English service. We are walking verse by verse in the Gospel of Mark every Sunday. But today, we're going to, again, as you know, take a break from Mark as we consider the resurrection from a different passage. Today, I want us to look at the passage found in 2 Corinthians that I mentioned there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. You should have found it by now, so let's go ahead and stand and read it together. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 through 21. And the word of the Lord says... From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray once more. Lord, we come to you once more as we turn our attention to your word. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us this morning. Be with me, Lord, your servant, as I exposit your word, that I might do so faithfully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So again, what, what is the, the big deal of Resurrection Sunday? What is the resurrection all about? What does the resurrection mean for me? Here in these six verses, Paul gives us a wealth of insight. Paul is the, the writer of this letter, 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the church at Corinth. And here in these six verses, he gives us a wealth of insight into what the resurrection means to the believer. And I want us to walk through this passage together as we see what the resurrection means to us today. And number one, the resurrection means we are now united. Look again at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You know, we live in a world that is deeply divided, right? And there are forces in our culture that are heavily invested in keeping us divided. They want us to be divided by race. They want us to be divided by social status, by age, by gender, by nationality, and so forth. If you've been paying attention to what's been happening in, in our country alone, you will know that division is everywhere. Many people believe that we have reached a point of no return, that we are so divided that there is no foreseeable path back to unity. You now have people talking about splitting our country apart. You have people talking about states seceding and setting up new governments and so forth. And even in the church, you have talk about a divide so deep that it's probably better that we just go on our separate ways. And if you have any basic knowledge of world history, you'll know that mankind has always been divided. We've always fought for our own and we've always entered into wars with other people to fight and protect our own. We have sought to secure lands. We have sought to conquer nations, seeking to protect and preserve the best of things for our people. Mankind on its own has never known or understood the meaning of unity. But this all changed when Christ arrived on the scene. In our passage, Paul says that now we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, now we don't view people according to who they are in the flesh. See, in the flesh, we are many different things. In the flesh, one may be a lawyer and the other a plumber. In the flesh, one may be white and one black. In the flesh, one may be from the U.S., the other from India. One may have multiple degrees and the other never graduated high school. And if we only view one another according to the flesh, and it's understandable to see so much division. After all, we are naturally uncomfortable with the unknown. And we naturally adapt to people that are most like us. And here's the thing. The world, in their virtue, want to at least try and unite us. They want to at least try to get us to come together. I mean, you have slogans in the world. You have songs in the world that say things like, why can't we be friends and stop the hate and, and choose love and so forth. The world is deeply invested in fostering diversity. 
So much so that you have companies spending millions of dollars and creating these large budgets for diversity training. You have those same companies making commercials, telling the world just how diverse and inclusive they really are. But it's all for nothing. There can never be true unity achieved by the efforts they are putting forth. Why? Why can there be no true unity? Well, because they still regard people according to the flesh. Go ahead and spend all the money that you have, but it will be useless and pointless. Why? Because in the end, you are still regarding according to the flesh. See, the flesh can never obtain true unity. Paul knows this, and he goes on to say, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, yes, Christ was once in the flesh, and we once saw him like us. He, he was male, he was Jewish, he was like us in many ways. He felt pain and sorrow, but now we regard him no longer in the flesh. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because though he went to the grave with a corruptible body, he rose from the grave with an incorruptible one. Now he is no longer in the flesh. And because he is no longer in the flesh, we are no longer in the flesh. If to be a Christian is to be united with Christ, then like Christ, we are no longer to regard one another according to the flesh. Galatians 3.27, we read this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, this is what the world does not understand. They will never achieve true unity because true unity will only be found in Christ. And they are people without Christ. They are people who despise Christ. They are people who have abandoned Christ. But if the church walks in the light of Christ, and if the church walks in the ways of Christ, and if the church walks united in Christ, then the church will walk united with one another. Yes, according to the flesh, we are many different things, but in the spirit, we are very much the same. Yes, in the flesh, we don't have much in common, but in the spirit, we have Christ in common. And in Christ, we have everything. This is why you can look around this building this morning, and you can see people from all different backgrounds of all different colors and even different languages worshiping together as one. If you look around this room, you will see something that companies spend millions of dollars to achieve, yet they will never achieve it because the unity that we have today was bought for a price that Apple and Amazon can never afford. The unity that we achieved this morning was bought with the price of Christ's blood. The unity was paid for by the cross, and the receipt is the empty tomb. The first thing our passage shows us about the resurrection is that the resurrection means that we are united. Let us go on. What else does the resurrection mean to us? It means that we are made new. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is another thing that the resurrection does for us. It makes us new. But even more than that, it removes the old. This is the difference between God and us, isn't it? God is a God who not only removes our sin, but a God who casts our sin into the deepest sea. And, and we aren't like that. We, we have a hard time forgetting people's past. We have a hard time letting go. We have a hard time believing someone can change. The truth is we have a hard time forgiving. But God is a God who remembers our sins no more. 
You know, change is not something unique to the believer. Change is not something unique to Christians. There are plenty of people that want to change. There are plenty of people in the world that want to give up old habits and want to give up old natures and want to change their attitudes. Plenty of people want to turn their life around. Have you ever noticed how much we are obsessed with touching up things? I mean, we can't even take a regular picture anymore without putting it through all these filters, right? I've seen pictures that have gone through so many filters that the person doesn't even look like a human being anymore. I mean, it looks like aliens came down and took a selfie. And look, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm guilty of it myself. There's just blemishes on my face that no filter will be able to take out. Or or to put it another way, you're just ugly. (laughs) The point is, there are some things that we can never change on our own. It doesn't matter what we do. There is nothing in our ability to change them. We can go to counseling. We can make resolutions. We can develop new habits and routines. But none of them will work. Every day, people try these things. Every day, people wake up with new ambition and new motivation to change, to be a a better husband, to be a better wife, to stop doing things that get them in trouble, to be a nicer person, to be a kinder person, to not drink so much, to not do drugs and so forth. But every day, people will fail. Why? Because they are seeking the wrong thing. See, people just don't need change. People need new life. In our passage, Paul says, I am a new creation. He doesn't say, I'm a reformed creation or I'm a different creation. No, he says, I am a new creation. In other words, whoever Paul is now, he's not just someone who has changed. He's someone who's new. In Christ, he has become a totally new person. So much so that everything in him that was old has now passed away. In other words, everything in him that was old is now dead. And notice... It's not just a new creation. It is a new creation in Christ. Paul knows that by faith, he is now united with Christ. He is united with Christ in his death, and he is united with Christ in his resurrection. Romans 6, verse 8, we read this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the reality of our union with Christ. Just as he was put to death, our old man has been put to death. And just as he rose from the dead, we have risen to new life with him. This is why Paul can say with confidence that he is a new creation. And this is hope for all of us. You know, I often hear people say they can never change. And you know what my answer to that is? My answer is, you're right. And you say, oh, hold up, pastor. You're supposed to be, you know, a man of God. You're supposed to be a pastor. And you're supposed to tell people uh, that they can change. How, how can you say that they can't change? Because that would be a lie. They can't change. They don't have it in them to change. See, they are not just broken or hurt or deeply flawed. That, that's the misconception. We think that people are just messed up, or that people just need to fix themselves, and people just need to be made whole. Their problem is not that they are broken. Their problem is that they are dead in their sin and their trespasses. They don't need a, a new outlook on life. They need new life. 
They don't need a change of heart. They need an entirely new heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice who is speaking. It is God. And he is saying, I, I will sprinkle clean water and you will be clean. It is God who does the cleansing. We can't cleanse ourselves. He says, I will cleanse you. And it's not just the cleansing to be made clean until our next confession. See, that's the error of other religions. Other religions will give you a list of things to do and a a list of things to keep to be right with God. Christianity says there is nothing you can do to be right with God. You don't have the power in you. You don't even have the desire. You think you do, but you don't even have the desire in you. Your salvation must be a work of God. As scripture says, salvation is of the Lord. Whatever change comes in you will come by way of God initiating the change. And he does it by giving you a new heart, by replacing the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And by putting a new spirit within you. See, because that's the real problem. The real problem isn't your circumstance. The real problem isn't your upbringing. The real problem isn't the hurts that others have caused you. The real problem is your sinful heart. You have an old, sinful, wicked heart that is prideful, that seeks its own, that accepts no responsibility for its own sin. It claims to love God, but is truly a hater of God. It is dead in sin, and it needs to be made alive by the power of the resurrection. Another thing the resurrection means is that we are made new. Let us go on. Another thing the resurrection means is that we are reconciled to God. Look at verse 18 in our passage. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You know, most people think that our relationship with God is just rocky. That man's relationship with God is just, you know, it's on the outs. It's, it's a little distant. And people will say, yeah, you know what, I may not have the best relationship with him right now, but I know that he still loves me. I mean, after all, we're all God's children. And, and I'll work on my relationship with God one day, and when that day comes, me and God are going to be okay. But in the meantime, I know that he's still looking at, after me. In the meantime, I know that he knows my heart, and he knows that we truly love each other. You know, this word reconciliation, it's not one we use often. But when I hear this word, for me, I think of a marriage. You often hear of couples who are in need of reconciliation, who are in need of being reconciled back to one another. Meaning the couple, for whatever reason, is not in a good relationship. In fact, they're, they're in a bad relationship. Something has happened to this couple that has caused a, a divide between them. Something has happened that has caused some type of separation. And they are needing to be reconciled back to one another. Peace is needing to be brokered between these two parties. 
And in our passage, Paul is saying this is what happened between us and God. Through Christ, we have been reconciled back to God. What does that tell us? It tells us that without Christ, there is no reconciliation. In other words, this relationship that I was just talking about, that people think they have without Christ, that people think they have with God without Christ, is not just distant. It's not a relationship that's just rocky. It's a relationship that is hostile. It's not a relationship between friends who, who don't speak to each other. It's a relationship between two enemies that hate each other. Romans 5.9, since therefore we have not now been justified by his blood, now more shall we have been saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Notice that this text here says there is a, a wrath of God. We don't often think of God as a God of wrath, do we? we? We like to say God is love. When we think of God, that's, that's what we think of. God is love. This text says here that there is a, a wrath of God. And wrath is not something that you let loose on your friends. Wrath is something that you let loose on your enemies. And as the text says, we were once his enemies. But we have been reconciled to God. In other words, we needed to be reconciled. We were not friends. We were his enemies. We were not distant. We were hostile. We were not just running from God. We were at war with God. We needed a mediator to broker peace. And that mediator was Christ. But notice in this Romans passage the level of reconciliation. Paul says that we have been reconciled to God by his death. In other words, the death of Christ satisfied the wrath. At the cross, our debt was paid for. But he goes on and he says, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Notice, don't overlook that. Notice the more. There is much more. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. Yes, now we are free to go. Now we have been cleared. The judge has declared us innocent. Our sentence has been satisfied. But his resurrection went further. His resurrection was more. The cross said, you are free to go. The resurrection said, come to me. Because of the resurrection, we are not just saved from something. We are now saved to something. The reconciliation is not just two parties just deciding to put aside their differences and agreeing to work things out. Now it's two parties welcoming each other. Now it's two parties loving each other. Now it's two parties moving on to a new and greater relationship than they ever had before. See, the goal of reconciliation is not just peace, but fellowship. And this is what we have through Christ. Not only do we have peace with God, but now we have fellowship with God. Another thing the resurrection means to us is that it means that we are now reconciled to God. Let's go on. Another thing that it means to us, it means there is good news to tell. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador. What is an ambassador? It's a person who acts as a representative. 
When we hear that word, we think of foreign nations sending over their ambassadors to come to our country, right? And what do they do? They speak on behalf of their country. And they usually speak what their country wants them to say. Paul says that we are ambassadors of Christ, meaning that we are Christ's representatives. And when we speak, we speak what Christ wants us to say. And what does he want us to say? He tells us here to tell people to be reconciled to God. In other words, preach the good news. Proclaim the gospel. And because of the resurrection, there is good news to proclaim. Because of the empty tomb, there is a message to tell the world that Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Go with me to Matthew 28 if you like. You knew we'd get to a passage about the empty tomb soon. Here it is. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the day, of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and saddled it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. That Sunday morning, there was good news to tell. This Christ who said that he would rise again, has done so. He has made good on his promise. And if he has made good on that promise, then he has made good on every other promise. Because he lives, I can live. Because he has overcome, I can overcome. Because he has defeated hell, death, and the grave, then guess what? I too can defeat hell, death, and the grave. If he is a conqueror, then guess what? I am more than a conqueror. My friend, that is good news. We should be like that woman on Easter morning, full of joy, eager to tell others what we have seen, running to spread the good news of the gospel, to bring hope to the hopeless and strength for the weary. Because of the resurrection, we have good news to tell. We have good news for the poor. We can now proclaim liberty to the captives. We can now proclaim recovery of sight to the blind and freedom for the oppressed. This is the call of the ambassador to proclaim the gospel for it is the power unto salvation. Make no mistake about it, friends. This is the message. We have no other message than Christ and him crucified. This is the only thing that God has chosen to invest his power in. Not in slogans, not in activism, not in social justice, but in the power of the cross and the empty tomb. That is the message. And notice the urgency in our passage. Notice the pleading, Paul says. We implore you. This is like a begging. This is desperation language here. This is how desperate we need to be to tell sinners about Jesus. We tell them the good news, just as Paul did. And if you know anything about Paul, you know how desperate he was to tell others about Jesus. He risked his life for it. Why? Because he saw what Christ did for him. He knew who he once was. He was a dead man with no hope in life and death. But then Christ appeared to him. 
Who appeared to him? It was the risen Christ, wasn't it? On that road, Christ, the risen Christ, appeared to him and gave him new life. He saw the good, the resurrection of Jesus brought to him, and he wanted to bring that good to others. May we see the resurrection in the same way. May we see what the resurrection has done for us, how it has made us new, how it has made us alive together with Christ. And may we implore others to come to know this resurrection as well. Another thing the resurrection means to us is that there is good news to tell. And lastly, the resurrection means we are right with God. We have been made right with God. Let's finish off our passage, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that we have become the righteousness of God? Listen to what the theologian John Gill says about this. He says, to be made the righteousness of God is to be made righteous in the sight of God by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. In other words, Christ has given us his righteousness, the righteousness that he obtained by fulfilling the law. The righteousness that he obtained by living a life of perfect obedience has now been imputed into us who believe. But this imputation or this righteousness that has been placed within us could not have happened without the resurrection. With Jesus still dead in that tomb, he would not be alive to impute his righteousness into us believers. But because he did resurrect, But because he did step out of that tomb, he is alive today to impute his righteousness, his righteousness that is required by God. He is alive today to give us something that we could never obtain on our own righteousness. See, without righteousness, no one will see God. Without righteousness, we can never be right with God. Without the righteousness of Christ, we would still be looked at as enemies we would still be strangers. We would still be deserving the full penalty of our sins. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the resurrection means to us. It means that we are now justified. That's a, a legal term. It means that we have been deemed right. When God, the righteous judge of the universe, looks upon us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees our righteousness. He declares us innocent. Why? Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And this justification that brought us peace is only possible because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stepped out of that tomb. So yes, the resurrection means a lot to us. It means that we are now united as one. It means that we are made new. It means that we have been reconciled to God. It means that there is a good news to tell. And it means that we have now been made right with God. Well, that's what it means to me. The question is this morning, does it mean the same to you?